0: Hey friends, welcome to episode five of the Culture Carries Us Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Poff. And as always, I just wanna say thank you for choosing to spend your time with us. You know, what's super cool about this podcast is all the different guests have such a unique perspective that they're bringing to the table, which I know is encouraging us. I know that we're growing and that we're learning. That's ultimately what this podcast is about. I mean, we all wanna be better leaders for the people that we love and care about, right? And so in order for us to be the best versions of ourselves, we have to be humble and we have to seek to grow. And the way to do that is to collaborate and listen to other people. And so that's what that's what I'm trying to do. That's the space I'm trying to create with this podcast. So thank you for listening. And I hope that this week you're encouraged just as you have been the other weeks. And you know, something else that I've really noticed is that all of our guests, everything's time back to relationships matter. And we've learned from listening to our guests that not only do they matter, but they are ultimately the driving factor behind our cultures that we're establishing. This week, I am honored and excited to welcome our guest, Ben Hartsock, to the show. So just a little bit about Ben. Ben grew up in Ohio where he played football for The Ohio State University. While in college, he actually won a national title and then earned the right to go on and continue his career in the NFL where he played for 11 years for different teams. We're going to learn more about that today in the podcast because, man, guys, he's got some great stories, some really cool insight because he has played for, at a very elite level, very different types of coaches and around very different types of players and leaders. Currently, though, Ben is working for ESPN Radio. He's a football analyst, and he also announces football games for college football and the pros. So, man, guys, this is going to be awesome. I'm excited to have him on the show. Can't wait to hear how he unpacks leadership and culture and how it truly is impacted in the things that we say. I mean, guys, there are power in our words. So he's going to talk about that. He's going to talk about his experiences. leadership, and kind of what shaped him and made him who he is today. So here we go, guys. Time to grow. Welcome to the show, Ben. If you could, just tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Let's see here. I'm 40 years old. I am married to my wife, Amy. It'll be 18 years this summer. We have two daughters. Uh, One is 14. The other is 12. And man, we're just as happy as can be doing that A little more of my backstory. I played college football at Ohio state and then played in the NFL for 10 years. Uh, I played and I was a journeyman during my career. So I played two years for the Indianapolis Colts, two years for the Tennessee Titans, a year for the Atlanta Falcons, two years with the New York jets, and then finished doing three years with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, I tried to get a magic 11th year, um, but it didn't come to it didn't come to reality. I went to training camp with the New England Patriots, a week with the uh, with the New England Patriots, thinking I could get year eleven. But it wasn't meant to be. So when I got finished playing ball, I jumped into the agent world. I worked representing players that wanted to make that transition from college into the NFL. Uh, joined the firm that rep me as a player, and I did a couple of years with that. And I'm I'm a big advocate for agents, for wise counsel for players because it's such a It's just a dog-eat-dog world. It's a cutthroat world of professional football in the NFL. uh, But I just couldn't make myself fit in that space. So I did that for a couple of years. uh, But then since then, uh, since 2017, I joined uh, ESPN Radio, and I call games for ESPN Radio, both NFL and college games. And then I also do sports talk radio shows on Sirius XM, on the ESPNU College Channel, and then the Big Ten Channel. They have a whole family of conference channels across the Sirius platform. So I do talk radio now, and it's been spectacular. This is my; it'll be my fourth season this coming fall.
0: And that's awesome. So two things: number one, um, we we don't have to tell anybody, but we all know the Falcons were your favorite team, right? I mean, ATL, <laughs> right? No. The second thing, though, I think it's cool, even that even though you only did it for a couple years, the the agent gig, because what a cool perspective you had as a player. Right. And so coming from a player and then being an agent to help like give wisdom and guidance yeah. to, to guys who were just, you know, in shoes that you were just in. And so I feel like that's, even though it didn't last long, that's, that's I feel like that's pretty cool.
1: Well, and it's, it was a job that I'm grateful for the experience. And as I came out of the game, It was healthy for me to have something I needed to have something to jump right into. I think the struggles of players once their game uh, time wearing their their helmet or their uniform comes to an end struggle to find direction. And so for me to have something to jump into was really uh, helpful. But ultimately, uh, the reason I stepped out of it was. But to to success to succeed in that space, you have to be committed to the game in a way that I was ready to be stepping back and enjoy it more from a fan perspective. And as a broadcaster, I still have my insight and I still have my unique perspective. But I'm not I'm not beholden to the, the you know so many times a player that you represent. Your career is in there is their career is in your hands. Your guidance, your wisdom, and there was a I, I wasn't able to make myself commit in a way that. I know my agent did for me, like I knew my agent was 100% in the moment I needed advice on, hey, how do I deal with this situation? Hey, I'm getting I'm going to get cut here. Do you know where I need to be next? I, I wasn't able to be that I couldn't sleep with myself at night knowing right. that my heart wasn't in it the right kind of way. So I stepped out. Uh, and, but thankful for that those two years that I did it. But like I said, it just wasn't the right fit.
0: Yeah, well, cool that you you know recognize that as well. But you know, I'm so excited about this episode because you know you're the fifth podcast episode of the Culture Carries this podcast, Um, but the first male. So good (laughs) job, yeah. Better carry it well, right? Um, But I'm excited though because I feel like one thing I've really enjoyed about all of our guests is that everybody has had a little bit different platform, right? So everybody's had a little different perspective and angle to bring to the table. Um, which is so great for our listeners. And I know that we'll all be inc- encouraged by what you have to say today. So um, I just kind of want to start out by talking to us a little bit, you know, playing at Ohio state at such a high level and winning a national championship there and then playing for multiple teams in the NFL. I feel like one of the advantages that you've had is to play for different coaches. Yeah. And so talk a little bit about like how the mantra of different coaches really helps to establish the culture within their program.
1: Yeah. When when I was in The game still you know everybody wants to get drafted into that that one team go play for that team for a decade or more win a couple Super Bowls and ride off into the sunset and and I would have loved that too but uh God had a different plan for me and, and I ended up bouncing around to five different teams but now on the on the backside of that it does give me a tremendous amount of perspective uh, to have experienced so many different coaches across the country. It also gives me perspective to know about different fan bases. Uh, playing for the Indianapolis Colts is a lot different than playing for the Indianapolis uh, or for the Atlanta Falcons. And and the New York Jets fan base could not have been more different than the Carolina fan base. And so it gives a ton of context when I'm being able, when I, when I talk about, Playing the game. When I talk about uh, you know being inside it and and and, and analyzing it as an analyst, that it, it, it helps me a tremendous amount. But through the lens of culture, and, and I'm I'm fired up about being on. Thanks for having me on. I, I, yeah, I believe absolutely. that culture. So much of what I do as a as a broadcaster now is, I, I, maybe the thing that I'm most passionate about within the realm of sports is the institution of athletics. Like people are, you, you know, you're a softball coach. I played football. But the, the reality is the institution of athletics and in and, and many ways, that's a fancy way of saying culture has such potential for positive influence that I, that's what I get most fired up about. And when I, when I think about the experience of being coached by Jim Tressel at Ohio State or being coached by Tony Dungy, a Hall of Fame coach with the Indianapolis Colts. I I'm able to now with the benefit of hindsight as a 40-year-old look back at what they built at how they ran their f- program how they implemented their culture and how it's it's so much more than just chasing a tr- a trophy or chasing a championship it really becomes foundational in a way of life and and and, and when we talked about you know setting up for this show the thing that I pointed out to you that sticks out more and more as time passes is how Everybody looks at coaching and says, "Wow! Like, how do you do it?" There are so many tentacles to being a coach. You're part right. psychologist. You're a you're a motivator. You're a, 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 a schematics. Your X's and O's. You're, you're 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 scouting. There are so many different avenues in coaching, and that's true. But when it gets down to its essence, it's building a culture. It's building something that every single person within your building, whether it's the superstar Pro Bowl quarterback or whether it's the water boy that's giving him water on the sidelines, how does that culture permeate and reach every one of those players in that game? And I have found through playing for different coaches and now that I study it professionally as a broadcaster, the power of mantras are so fascinating to me. And I I look across the most successful coaches uh, at uh, specifically in football is kind of the lens that I look through, but I look at a Nick Saban and I, you know, their mantra is the process. And you look at Dabo Sweeney, their mantra is all in. Uh, I look at uh, Bill Belichick in the NFL, one of the most successful NFL dynasties, his mantra is do your job. Well, I look at those now and I see how that one phrase for each of those teams can be applied in so many different ways. Look at the, the, the do your job with New England Patriots. And I think about, I was there for four days. And that reality, uh, that, that phrase is plastered all over the building. It is reiterated by every coach, by every trainer, by every nutritionist, strength coach, position coach. It is absolutely hardwired into that franchise in a way that everybody knows how does that phrase apply to me? Do your job it, it can be applied to an individual. If I'm a if I'm a tight end on that roster, do your job means you know what? Don't worry about what the tackle's doing. You don't need to be concerned about what the fullback's doing. You don't have to be concerned about what the quarterback's doing. You focus on what you focus on. As a as a player, I don't need to be worried about the the call that is coming into the huddle because it's not my job to think about what. I need to be, or what the call needs to be to have a successful play. That's the job of the play caller. And as a uh, you, you, but then you back it out a little bit and you say, okay, how does do your job have anything to do with me during an off season? Let's say it's the middle of summer and we're st- a couple of months away from training camp. Well, do your job represents, you know what? Do your job means that you are accountable to something, you have a responsibility. There are so many ways that when you boil down coaching and all of its many tentacles, if you can boil it down to its essence and you find that mantra that represents you as a coach and for Bill Belichick, it was do your job for Jim Tressel at Ohio state. the one that it, it, it resonates even more with me now, 10, 20 years uh, removed from it, it was remember who you are. And, and at the end of every single practice at Ohio state or after every game, coach Tressel would would repeat a couple of key phrases remember who you are give thanks reach out to your loved ones but that remember who you are was something that was it was again it was pervasive within our culture it was up on signs in the locker room it was reminded to us uh, throughout the the week throughout the day when we got a schedule when we were making a trip and we knew okay this is our schedule when we have meetings when do we have dinner when do we have more meetings when when do we have to be at the locker room right there right above everything remember who you are. And so remember who you are becomes this, this very succinct phrase that has so many different ways that it weaves into the realities of our team. Remember who you are is, hey, I represent something more than myself. I represent the Ohio State Buckeye team, the Scarlet and Gray, that I that I that I've played for, that means that there's history behind me. So there's right. a responsibility to being a part of that. Remember who you are is hey. Remember where you came from. I'm a kid from a small town in Ross County, Ohio, Chillicothe. I'm remember who you are. I'm a member of the Hartsock family, Tim and Patty Hartsock, brother of Than uh, Hartsock, and sister of Abby Hartsock. It is such a, a a magical way that no matter where you are and no matter what you're doing. Remember who you are is something that boils down the essence of what Jim Tressel, the head coach at Ohio state wanted our culture to be.
0: Yeah. And it's powerful. I mean, all of those mantras, everything that you just talked about is powerful, but that one to me it really sticks out and it did when we spoke, you know, previous, but remember who you are. I just feel like it's so, it's just strong. It's a strong way to remind the people that you lead, of kind of where their focus needs to stay. Right. Um, and so a couple of things that I was, I was thinking when you were, when you were talking about that is, you know, you were talking about with the Patriots, it says, do your job and it's everywhere. And the coaches are saying it all the time. Right. Um, and it makes me think about the importance of as leaders, whether you're a principal and you have your admin team, uh, you're the owner of a business and you have the people that work for you, or we are coaches and we have our coaching staff, like making sure that terminology is the same Mm -hmm. is so big right because if my players hear me say we need to be selfless Mm -hmm. or play for the person beside you right um or show up for your teammate if i'm saying those things and then they hear the assistant coach is saying those things then pretty soon our players are going to be saying those things naturally it's going to be ingrained in our culture just a part of who we are right but if that terminology is never the same yeah you don't get the same message. And so I think that's important. And then the other thing that you mentioned, you know, the do your job thing, it makes me think about like controlling the controllables. And mm-hmm. that's what we tell our players, like focus, just control what you can control. Like you can't control technically what your teammate is doing, right? but you can control what you're doing. So are you giving max effort every single day? Mm-hmm. You know, are you adding fuel to the fire with your actions and your words? Are you making us a stronger unit every single day? And if you do that for yourself, and like you said, every every single person in our program is doing their job, man, we're going to be strong.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Remember who you are is, is an individual statement, but when you are a part of a team full of people that absolutely align themselves with that, then, you know, I can depend on this guy next to me when we have to execute a double team or with, if I'm a quarterback and a tight end and, and I, and that quarterback is expecting me to be at five yards, not four and a half, not five and a half. He needs me at five remember who you are is something that boils down and it it is becomes through consistently. I think that's what you're, what the point you're making that the yeah. consistency of message is one that it, it, it is. So it becomes secondhand, it becomes second nature to us that you don't have to think about it. And that is where it, it truly becomes magic within teams. When you talk about building rosters of, okay, we need fast guys. We need tall guys. We need big guys. We need small guys but it's not just about the fastest. It's not just about the tallest. It's about guys that we know can buy into what we are. And we're just coming off the NFL draft. And it's so fascinating to hear from all the way to the Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers down to I've uh, done an interview with an FCS, FCS level coach, a division two or lower coaches. They're all looking for players that love the game. They're all looking for guys that are hungry. They're willing to sacrifice talent. They're willing to sacrifice. You yeah. say, you know what? If I have a guy that is a touch slower, but he aligns himself with what we believe in, whether it's all in at Clemson or the process at, 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 uh, at, at Alabama or do your job when it was Jim Trestle at Ohio State that is the magic that's to me the some of the most fascinating parts of player evaluation is okay it's not only about the guy that runs the fastest or lifts the most weight it's about who is the most talented player that also fits in with what we do at our at our school and with our sport
0: yeah absolutely i mean as a coach personally i will take more heart over talent every day of the week because you're going to get more out of that person right and and I also, and I say this a lot, and I just truly believe, I feel like it's a simple statement, but I think it's powerful because I just truly believe that people will not buy into your vision until they've bought into you. Mm-hmm. And I, I really think that that's true. And, and so for me as a coach and a leader, I want my people to buy into me first, mm-hmm. right? Because if they're on board with me and they know I love them and I'm there for them, I want the best for them. Um, it's not even an issue at that point. They're yeah. going to buy into my vision because they completely you know they trust me at that point they respect me they know I've got their best interest in, in, in heart and then the vision part like you said everybody at that point aligns
1: so I had a an, a reporter from Sports Illustrated a couple of years ago actually when I was working as an agent he kind of gave me a backhanded compliment he, he said he goes I don't know how smart football players are and you know I was just right <laughs> out of the game at that point bro yeah I don't know how smart <laughs> football players are but they see through bull quicker than anybody else I've ever seen and it speaks to just what you're saying, that the coaches that I've been around, the ones that are universally accepted and will, will, will charge up any mountain with that coach are those who are absolutely genuine, right. who have a complete understanding of who they are and how they're going to lead their team. And, and, and you, know, you no greater example than in college football today of, of Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban. I mean, Nick Saban is, is kind of the Darth Vader of of college athletics now listen like him or hate him you can't argue with what he's produced and what he has built and his consistency but his style of coaching is very much in stark contrast to a dabo sweeney at the at clemson you know a, a much more loving a much more wrap your arm around you i i believe we're in a transition within athletics as a whole where uh, even, even predating me, you think about the, the icons of, of college football, the Bo Schimbecklers, the Woody Hayes, the Bear Bryants. I don't know that if those guys somehow were teleported to be young today, that how they led would necessarily translate because I mean, let's get, let's get, I mean, Woody Hayes, the icon from Ohio state, he wasn't above getting physical with his players, right? Right. That doesn't, that doesn't, (laughs) yeah that doesn't really fly anymore. That doesn't really fly anymore. And players want to now feel like they're coaches have their best interests, that they're love, that they want to know why more so. And so I, while I am fascinated by Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, those two kind of are the the old school mentality that have tremendous amount of success with it. I think we're kind of watching the last few of a dying breed with uh, with what they do because ultimately what they do is uphold a tremendously high standard. And that's what Saban talks about with his process to to pursue a standard of excellence that ultimately you will never achieve what Nick Saban has spent his life pursuing and in many ways has gotten as close as anybody's you've ever seen with winning all the national titles and the way that he leads. And it seems like a tireless pursuit of excellence. Mm -hmm. uh, It, it it, it comes at the expense of it's a fatiguing way to, to live life. It is a, a hard way to, to live that. Whereas Dabo Sweeney has, is, is pursuing the same standard. Ryan Day, the current coach at Ohio State, I believe uh, he absolutely is holding at the high standard like Urban Meyer held. Urban Meyer kind of falls in line with the Nick Saban and Bill Belichick style of, listen, we're, we're holding ourselves to the standard. And to do that, it's not going to be a lot of fun and it's not going to be a lot of warm and fuzzy. But I believe these new coaches are still upholding a tremendously high standard of excellence, but they're doing it in a way that players feel valued they feel uh a little more included a little safer yeah talking to their coaches and i think i gave you this story before of i thought it was fascinating when ryan day was announced as the new head coach at ohio state one of the first things when uh espn went and, and did kind of a deep dive with him he gave a tour of his office mm-hmm. and and ryan day I th- it was kind of insightful he says listen you know I'm upholding a a legacy here and I'm just a standard bearer for what has been come before me. And that's, you know, referencing urban Meyer, he said, but I wanted to change things in my office and make it a little bit more of a living room feel. I wanted guys to feel a little bit more comfortable when they were in this space. And Ryan day, remember as a mentor of, of urban Meyer, he would never want to speak ill will of him, but that statement was basically saying, guys didn't feel that safe or and comfortable to be able to come and share and and be vulnerable and transparent with Urban Meyer but I want them to do so with, with me uh, if I'm going to be that head coach now. So I think that's the new era. And if you look at this, the younger successful coaches around college athletics, you see a Dabo Sweeney, you see a Ryan day, Lincoln Riley with Oklahoma, uh, not PJ so Fleck. much PJ Fleck, not so much guys that are grabbing guys by the face yeah. mask and, and, you know, screaming and, and rapping whistles off of their helmets, guys that are more likely to put their arm around your neck and, and be a little bit more, uh, explanatory when they're they're upholding their standard
0: and let's be honest i mean i know we're obviously focused on sports because that's what we do right And that's where our passion lies but when we're talking about culture in general leadership in general i mean obviously as a teacher i can think about a school setting right and and so i i believe that a leader that takes the time to know their people build relationships give them the warm and fuzzy when they need to those people are going to perform better for you I mean, it's just, it's part of life. It doesn't matter like what setting you're talking about, even in in your social group with your friends. I mean, you want to feel seen and you want to feel valued. And so I think all those things play into it. And obviously some of these younger coaches, like you're talking about, you know, people have been pouring into them to prep them. And now they're in a, in a head coaching role and Mm -hmm. they're basically, I believe leading in a way that they've, that they've seen work, you know, and understanding their players, which is really the most important part. So Let's talk about – you mentioned something to me previously about the core and about remembering who you are, and and you kind of spoke to that. But tell me how you feel like as a player at um, Ohio State, how do you feel like you saw that permeate throughout the team? And then especially, I guess, for you, how did that impact you as a person?
1: Yeah, I mean, when you're building a team, I I think back my college experience, summer conditioning and off-season conditioning, those workouts – I look back at that now and I'm kind of blown away. I I don't know how I survived it. And, and, you know, guys puking all over the place and you're, (laughs) you're, you're pushed to a level that uh, it's tragic, but there, there are players that die, you know, occasionally during conditioning sessions and it's, and it's a tragedy and they're doing their best to save that. But I I look at that and I say, you know what, I, I don't know how close I was to death. But I know I was a lot closer than I am that when I when I work out today, and, and I'm kind of proud of that. And ultimately, remember who you are goes back to part of that motivation. It, it all, all it is is a belief system. It is a foundational building block that we reminded ourselves of so that when we're in the middle of a, a, of a summer conditioning session where we've run 110, 110s until our eyes are falling out of our head, that you know what? I, I, I'm part of this. I'm part Mm -hmm. of something bigger than myself. And through coaching again, I, I, I always say like, I don't want hard coaching to go away. I don't want the Nick Saban. Like, I think there's a time and a place and I've experienced where a coach who I love a coach, who I trust a coach that I knew wanted the best for me, challenged me, got in my face, grabbed my face mask and challenged me and was able to pull more out of me than ultimately I ever believed and I had in myself. But because our culture was so safe and so per- pervasive, it was everywhere that we were able to hold each other to a tremendously high standard and challenging each challenge each other in ways that we were able to achieve things that ultimately, if left to myself, I would have never pushed myself as hard. If I wasn't, if I didn't hold myself accountable to my other teammates, and if I didn't remember that they believed the same mantra that our coach had set out for us, and, and we all were holding ourselves to something bigger than what we, uh, than what uh, us individually. I don't think we would have pushed ourselves in the same way. And so I'm grateful for that experience and I'm grateful for that now because ultimately I think we talked about this before that the reason why athletes are so desired in the workforce are so sought after in positions of leadership is because they have sacrificed themselves before they have been a part of something bigger than themselves and they have been challenged and faced adversity in ways that so few people without the institution of athletics to push them. I I know for a hundred percent fact, had I not been involved with athletics, I never would have pushed myself within a fraction of what I, uh, what I did because I was a part of a a team and I had accountability that I, a standard that I was asked to meet. I I think I've heard Nick Saban say this, that the human nature tends towards mediocre. Like it's part of our, Mm most basal level uh, life survival skill is to not overextend ourselves to do the least amount possible because, you know, in a, in a, in a period of life where you, you know, you survival of the fittest, you, you, you didn't want to overexert yourself any more than you had to. So to find people that are intrinsically motivated or to put yourself in an environment with people that are holding themselves to a higher standard is Hugely impactful to me now as as someone who's outside of the game and it's still it's still woven into how I lead my family it's it's yeah, woven into how I interact with my friends, and and how I even in, in such a simple way of, of how I maintain my fitness to this day, if I wouldn't have had the opportunity to be a, a, a part of something like a uh, high level athletics or even high school athletics. Uh, I, I don't think I would hold myself to that same standard.
0: Yeah. And I think uh, something I used to say to our players was your body can do so much more than your mind tells you <laughs> that it can. Right. Yeah. And so I think a, a huge part of that, like taking it a step further is those other intangibles, all those other things that have been built into you as a player. So like you're saying, like you were holding yourself accountable because you, you're there for your teammates and they're holding you accountable and, It's in essence. And for me, it is all about the relationships. Like Mm -hmm. I understand, I've seen it firsthand as a coach. When I develop strong bonds with my players, I mean, they will run through a wall for you, Yeah, you know? And so now it's not like, Oh, I'm gassed out on the sprint. Like, yeah, you are, but I believe in you. So keep going. And it's like, okay, I got this. Yeah. Like if that relationship is not present, you're getting half the effort from the player you're getting, you're not reaching their potential. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a completely different ball game, you know?
1: and there are so many uh, again going back to remember who you are it's it's also listen if i if i flop out of this if i fail out of this then i have to face my family i have to go back and and live with you know what it didn't work out not that i would have ever expected they would be shunned or disappointed but right, right. there is a you know what i, I represent something bigger than my, myself my my home community uh, there there are so many different again it, it's what's magic about mantras is when you find something like that that you're you represent, but you remember who you are, it's it's your family, it's your community, it's your teammates, it's your coaches, it's the the team, the university that you represent. All of those things are healthy pressure points to push players, and the more the more ultimately that the players recognize and embrace that reality, I think that's where you see guys and girls force push themselves to reach achievements that they never would have uh, been able to attain.
0: Oh, absolutely. I believe that's no doubt 100% what gets people through adversity and challenges, whether it's individually in life or as a team. It is absolutely those things that have been built prior to it. All right. So I think that we both believe in this next part and I have both experienced it, but I want you to speak a little bit on the impact and the power of encouragement. You know, so like how one interaction can completely change your perspective, your attitude, your self-esteem, or your effort. Um, I know you've probably got some stories from playing in college and NFL, but talk a little bit about th- just the true impact and power of words.
1: Yeah, th- there's a couple of key moments during my playing career that I believe were, were absolutely fork in the road moments for me. Uh, I, when you talk about a, a, k- a kid going from high school and even making it to college and then continuing to pursue college and, and having the opportunity to go to the, to the NFL, there are so many potential left turns that could end with never reaching that ultimate goal. And I, and I point to the fact that I'm, I'm that guy that the stat I always give is there's roughly a, a million high school football players every year, give or take. And of that million high school football players only not two not 2% make it to the NFL, not, 0.2 percent make it to the NFL. 0.02 percent ever get drafted into the NFL. This, you know, refreshing my mind right off of the NFL draft. Wow, that's that, that's crazy. Right. That that is a that is a a, a a pinhead. I mean, a small small margin of error, and there are a million factors that go into making that. Staying healthy, having the ability, being in the environment that gives you the opportunity to present your skill set. But also, I look at a couple of key moments for me, and it was. Encouragement from coaches, a couple of key encouraging moments. Because let's get transparent time with uh with Mr. Hartsock here. I was <laughs> I, I'm a nervous type. I, I am I am wound tight. I'm I'm am a I'm a fear-based motivator kind of guy. I, I don't like that about my, my kind of my being, but I, fear was a powerful motivator for me. It pushed me to do a lot of things when I was holding myself accountable. Fear of failure was a thing that for a long time it was unhealthy uh in my life, but but that's why when I got those words of encouragement, they were so hugely impactful. And I have a couple of examples of that. When, when I was a true freshman at Ohio State, I was redshirted. And so when you're redshirted, you were, you're a scout team guy, didn't mm-hmm. even travel to, with the team on road trips. So I was living the scout team lifestyle. And here I am, an, uh, a, a no-name kid from a small-time school, and in many ways as a true freshman, I'm figuring out, do I have what it takes to make it here? Do I really, do I, can I do this? I mean, <laughs> the first day I showed up on campus at Ohio State for one of those sum- summer conditionings that guys were puking all over the place was, uh, I'll never forget this moment. I had just graduated from school two weeks prior in uh, in end of May, and I show up at Ohio State that summer to do summer conditioning. And as I'm walking out on for my summer conditioning session, the previous session, you could work out different times during the day. They are, I kid you not, they are carrying Eddie George who had <laughs> collapsed training room. Now this was Eddie George who had already won a Heisman, was yeah. already a first round draft pick and was winning and was a pro bowler with the Tennessee Titans. And they're carrying him off the field. And I'm walking onto that same field expected to do the exact same thing. And, and I, in, in that moment,
0: you're like, do I turn around now? Yeah,
1: that, that's exactly yeah. my thought. I kid you not. I thought I could go home, and and <laughs> they would never know I existed. Right? They they would never even notice that. Like that 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 was the reality. And so I I was a I'm a I'm a doubting kind of person. I have to overcome that. And so here I am in my fr- my freshman year, and I'm on scout team, and uh, the defensive coordinator, uh, who was an Ohio State All American, played in the NFL for a long time was coaching his guys but he he made it a point to come up to me the scout team guy and he says son you're going to help our football team you're doing a good job you're playing against these guys and you're making them better and and you, you can you can cut it here and let me tell you something kelly i get goosebumps just thinking about what that meant to me as an 18 19 year old kid who wasn't sure if he had what it took and so uh, that buoyed me like that was one of those fork in the road moments that if I maybe hadn't got that encouragement, it would have been easy for me just with my self-doubt and, and, and uh, negative thinking. I could have very much gone down an unhealthy place and my play would have suffered and, and who knows what could have become of my career. And so buoyed through that, next thing you know, I'm, I earned starting position and I'm all Big Ten and we win a national championship and I'm starting to let myself think, hey, you got a shot to go to the NFL. I'm starting to get contacted by agents wanting to represent me as a player saying, Hey, you're, you know, we think you've got what it takes to make it in this, this NFL league. And here I am again, even though I'm all big 10 and I'm a starter and we've, you know, championship caliber team. I I was wondering, boy, do do I really have what it takes? I've already, I've already surpassed anything I've ever could have dreamt. Uh, my dad always tells the joke when I got offered a scholarship at Ohio State, uh, he, he privately pulled my mom off. He's like, wow, this is amazing. Our son's going to get to wear the scarlet and gray. And, and he <laughs> said, wouldn't it be amazing if he got to play, too? <laughs> right? Like, you know, like right. that, our expectations, were, we continue to just be astounded by this blessing that poured out upon us. So I, I'm doubting myself again when I when I'm making that transition to the NFL but it was this time it was an offensive coordinator who had the previous season was coaching in the NFL he had coached for the bears and he had coached for the Philadelphia Eagles and he came up to me unsolicited and it, after a practice one day and he said son you're going to have a real nice NFL career i've i have seen a lot of players over the years and you're you're going to fit in real well and you're going to play a long time and and man I, i'm getting the goosebumps again because <laughs> that was just such a uh, just such an a lift, such an encouragement to me that it, it it stuck with me in a way that it 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 never gets lost on me for my opportunity to be that buoy, to be that positive reinforcement to someone who maybe doesn't believe in their themselves with whatever hurdle they're overcoming, trying to make it into college, trying to become a starter on their middle school team. I never having been a recipient of such. Transformative encouragement. I, I I really relish those opportunities to hopefully be that for somebody else, and I think that's part of the magic of coaching.
0: Yeah, that's, that's those are great stories because it's just something that you were able to experience firsthand, and so you understand the power of it. Any time that we can not miss a moment to impact mm-hmm. someone to encourage them, I mean the power of our words. When my players pass me at school or they leave the field after practice, it's always like, "Love y'all, see you tomorrow." Love you too, coach. See you tomorrow. Like, it seems like such a simple transaction, right? And it is, I guess, in some ways, but it's so powerful because they're never left to wonder, right? They're never left to wonder. Like, they know I love them. I know they love me. They can come to me. They can lean on me. They can come to me. Hey, I'm scared about this. Hey, I'm struggling with this. You know, and then like another example, like on the field, one of the things we say is we say next play. Mm -hmm. Meaning we make an error, like flush it. It's over like next play, because mentally we want to stay in that place. Like, Mm -hmm. it's okay. We have your back. Let's go next play. And so it's just something that we say, but again, I just feel like there's such power in words. So regardless of the situation for me as a coach, one thing that that I've really tried to do throughout my career, and I know that I I did struggle to do this well at the beginning, Mm -hmm. I mean, I've tried to get better, but you know, I, I just think it's important that we realize how powerful and impactful our words are to every person in our organization. Like you mentioned earlier, the water boy giving yeah. water to the, to the star quarterback, right? Well, it's the same thing. It doesn't matter if it's somebody on our team who just – their role is to run bases for us or they're just in the dugout or it's our manager or it's an assistant coach or it's myself or it's the umpire. Like yeah. our words hold such power. And so I believe that as leaders, when we can model that for our people – then again, it just starts to become a ripple effect. And that's really what our job is as leaders, right? Is to, I guess, to be such a good example and such a good model of what it means to be a good human, what it means to be a good leader. And I said this in one of my previous shows and you kind of hinted at it earlier with just the 0.02% of guys who make it to the NFL, right? Only like 1% of coaches will win a championship in their life. What are we actually doing? What we're doing is we're impacting lives and we're changing people, right? And so I believe when we can, keep that at the the forefront of everything that we do, our actions and our words, those should enhance each other, you know, our actions and our words. And, and so to to have the opportunity to, I guess, pour into the people that we love and that we lead through our words and understanding the power of the encouragement um, and how that really can affect someone for their entire life is just, it's important that we remember that
1: when I think about the institution of sport, like we've been talking in our conversation, that's that's what I'm meaning is what you're doing is you're developing young people, young girls, young ladies with you as a softball coach, young men in, in, in boys sports. That is to me, it, it's tricky because no coach gets to keep their job unless they win enough games. So there is a measuring stick that absolutely matters. But I, I've been around coaches that, use players as a transaction. They are a means to a trophy, a means to a pursuit of, of, of of excellence. And the, the, the development is really something that is, second nature especially at the pro game right because the pro game is not about developing character it is about winning super bowls nonetheless tony dungy was absolutely influencing and absolutely developing young men and and doing that and he won a super bowl doing it but when i talk about when i think about the new successful coaches you mentioned pj fleck i'm a giant fan of matt campbell at iowa state a guy that is taking guys that were often overlooked By the bigger schools that, you know, to go to Iowa State means you probably didn't get offered by Ohio State. You didn't get offered by Oklahoma and yet still playing in Big 12 championships and and Fiesta Bowl, New Year's Day, six games. uh, They're developing the character of young men and the character and the culture is so strong that success comes out of that. It's kind of a chicken or the egg debate of, you know what? we're going to develop young men or young women in a positive way. And because of that, wins will come as opposed to we'll win some games and then we'll squeeze in and try to find some character development whenever we get a break in our practice schedule. And, and one thing that sticks out as you were talking, Kelly is when you talk about the, the, the way that in your, on your team, the love, the language, the, the culture is so strong that it's just, it's a, it's foundational that, you know, it, it goes back to what I said, you, players will see fake. Players mm-hmm. can see through. They they sense it. They feel it. And because I, I can think of, you never know what moment when you're looking at. If you've got players that want to go onto the college level, it reminds me of a story that Matt Campbell, the head coach at Iowa State, said about his star tight end this year. This guy named Charlie Kohler, a guy that's will be drafted next season into the NFL. He said, "I knew that Charlie Kohler was the right guy for Iowa State." when he came to visit on a, on an official recruiting trip, by the way he treated his mother, by the way that he spoke to with respect and dignity, he opened doors and he, he waited for her. And, and, and I knew that Charlie Kohler was the kind of guy that he was going to be right for Iowa state. And that to me is a great symbol of you're always being evaluated and who you are and, and what you represent is it's on all the time. It, it, it's it's if you're faking it if you're only trying to be nice to your mother just to try to catch someone's eye i think coaches see that i think people see through that but the magic of coaching is you have at such a young age a formative time the opportunity to implement that love that that foundational belief that you are valued. You are talented. You have gifting that is so spectacular. I want you to know that so that if they have aspirations of going on to college in the next level, it just pours out of them naturally. Second nature. It's not a transaction. It's not a a fake uh, false bravado or persona that they're trying to put out there. It becomes part of who you are.
0: Yeah. It's genuine, you know, and, and they can see that. And I think that you know, when you were talking about that, I was thinking about, and I may, I may have told you the story before, but we're going to share it with our listeners. So I do believe it's the little moments and you were talking about like, especially for like the kids that I'm coaching, right? Their age, like this is the time that they're shaped. Mm -hmm. Right. And so within the past, like two and a half months, our, our girls soccer team this year, um, they were grinding it out like middle of the season. Um, they had a big game coming up at home. And so, Um, We knew it was important to show up and be there for them. Right. And so I'd sent out a text to my entire team that was like, Hey, we need to be at the game Tuesday night. I need to support Um, whatever. And so they were like, got it coach, got it coach, whatever. So a big group of them came, they dressed up, they had a little megaphone, like they were there, like all in, uh, showing up for their friends, their classmates and, you know, for their school. And so they were supporting them and it was great. And, And I know that the soccer team appreciated it. Obviously they played wonderful that night. They won a big game. Um, and it was cool. And I think it was cool for like the soccer girls to see that. But it was also cool for my girls to see like, oh, look, at this is the impact we can have. Right. Yeah. So fast forward, you know, two weeks later, maybe it's senior night for the soccer team. I'm at school during the day. I see a, a text come through on our team text. And one of my players had sent a text out that was like, hey, guys, it's senior night. We need to show up. We need to be there to support them, whatever. And everybody's responding like, OK, we'll be there. OK, we'll be there. And in that moment, I felt I think I felt a little overwhelmed because I was like, Man, that, that one time that I initiated it, right? Yeah. And now I didn't have to because they saw the impact it had. And so now like I have a player who's stepping up and sending that text on her own. And her teammates are like, Yeah, absolutely. We'll be there. And they showed up for them on senior night. And I was like, man, it's so impactful because that one, that one moment shaped so many of my players because yeah. now they're gonna they're gonna continue on through high school and into college and into life, understanding the importance of showing up. for the people that you love. And it took one moment for that to happen. And I was like, man, how cool is that? And that's the ripple effect that I was talking about earlier.
1: Well, and one of the benefits of playing for as many teams as I did, I I see that teams take on the identity of their leadership. They absolutely, when, when I played for the Indianapolis Colts under Peyton Manning and Tony Dungy, They were the epitome of discipline and focus and steadiness. They weren't they weren't chest pounders. They weren't head bashers. They were precision and detail and focus. And so that is how I prepared more so than even when I was at Ohio State. Or the the flip side of that, when I played for the New York Jets, it was uh, during the Rex Ryan era. Mm -hmm. Rex Ryan was a bar bar fighter. He was a chest thumper. He was a in-your-face trash talker and what's wild is his mantra ground and pound ground and (laughs) pound ground and pound which is for offense that means we're running the ball hard but it also is a a mantra that you know what we're gonna fight you and it's gonna we may lose the game but you're gonna suffer by going through this game and what's Mm -hmm. wild is when I was a part of that team I matched the, I reflected my leadership and, and I'm driving a little further past the whistle and I'm pushing and I'm Bumping chess with a couple of more guys. So you can say that was right, wrong or indifferent. But the reality is you take on the, the identity of your leadership. And Peyton Manning was another example of that, that when you talk about uh, moments that become impactful that you don't realize, I'll never forget Right after I was drafted, I was drafted to the Indianapolis Colts. And a couple of days later, I'm sitting in the Indianapolis Colts facility and, and a group of rookies are sitting at the uh, the dining table at lunch, waiting to kind of meet all the new coaches and the players and everything. And, and uh, just kind of nervously excited. Well, Peyton Manning walks in and here we are a group of guys that were all drafted or undrafted at various levels, all waiting. And we're like starstruck, like completely <laughs> eyes as big as saucers dude, there he is. Like we kind of like, dude, there he is. And we all have to like snap ourselves out of it. Like, dude, we can't do that. You can't, he's our teammate now. We can't be starstruck by our teammate. You got to <laughs> snap out of it. Yeah. But I'll, I'll never forget Peyton Manning came up and he stuck his hand out and he introduced himself to me. Hey, Ben, I'm Peyton Manning. Nice to meet you. Glad to have you on the team. And he went to the next guy. Hey, hey, uh, uh, Scott, Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was a guy that as a leader, he valued us enough he set the example he built a culture that i'm going to go so far as i'm going to know you guys and know who you are know you by face and name before i have ever even we've ever even spoken together like as a freshman or a a rookie that was i mean peyton manning is is one of the biggest icons that ever play the game and he takes the time to study the details to learn every guy drafted and undrafted free agent that was signed to the team. And that that is just such a great example of, you know what? 10 years later. Yeah. I was a 10 year journeyman, but I still played a long time in the NFL. Every time a rookie class comes in, it's easy to get hardened in the NFL to say, well, this is just the new crap crop of guys. I've got to, I've got to beat out, you know, they'll figure it out on the fly. No, I need to go over there and remember how Pro Bowl, all pro Peyton Manning Hall of Famer came up and, and made it a point to introduce himself to me as if I needed to be introduced to Peyton Manning. Let me at least at some level try to do that same thing to a young guy that is walking into the for his first NFL locker room and try to put him at ease and try to show him that he's valued and a valuable part of our team because our leadership chose to have you be a part of this franchise.
0: Yeah. That's such a cool story about Peyton Manning. I mean, I know we've all grown up watching him play and I mean, just watching him, you can, you can see the leadership in him, but it's really cool to hear that firsthand story from you. And obviously he modeled that for you and it stuck with you. That was something that truly stuck with you and it made an impact on you. And so then you were able to go do the same thing for someone else. And, you know, also, I think to hear you say it the way you said it, you know, like our, our players take on our identity. That is so true. It is so, so true. And I love how you said that. And I think that, you know, I always try to be very uh, mindful of that on game days. I mean, obviously practice too, but especially game days. You know, because I'm human, so some days I have a bad day, yeah. and I have to show up at that field. And those those kids count on me to be their leader, right? And so I understand that players feed off our energy. It's powerful. I like the way that you said that a lot. All right. So I also think <clears throat> to kind of finish up that part that it's it's just as important for coaches to be intentional about giving encouragement, right? About taking the time to not rush through things, but be present with your players, be present with the people you lead. You know, if if you can tell they're having a bad day, I mean, just in a water break, I mean, it takes literally 30 seconds to go stand by a player who you know is either struggling on the field or you could tell they're having a bad day and just be like, hey, what's up? Like mm-hmm. small talk, you know, you're fine. Let's go, love you, whatever. Mm-hmm. That one interaction, like it can flip a switch for them. and be like, okay, or at least know that somebody cares about me. And yeah. so I think it's important for coaches to be very intentional about their words and about you know creating space and time to to show the people they love and lead um, that they are important and they are valued and that's kind of what you were speaking to with Peyton. So I think that obviously everything we've talked about today they kind of all go back to building relationships, right? I mean I think that's that's what we've that's what we've realized and it's kind of been the same in every episode regardless of the platform of the guest. Um, in your situation, I feel like you bring such a really really unique perspective, um, playing at the levels that you've played at and now being like an ESPN, uh, radio guy, because I feel like you have the opportunity to talk with so many different types of coaches, so many different types of players, which is really neat. Um, so you obviously you're growing as a person individually every single day that you, you know, interact with different people, but, and you've kind of hit on it, but, but just to kind of close us out, talk a little bit about, in your opinion, um, the impact that building relationships has and, and like for me, for example, I believe that it creates, um, space for like hard conversations to take place. Right. I think that's one of the biggest things that building relationships does. Um, and obviously just creates bonds, but people want to fight for each other and they want to fight for their coaches and like, they want to hold each other accountable because there's that, there's that relationship present, but kind of talk a little bit about in general, your whole life, um, from Ohio state to NFL, to even where you are now, how do you see relationships play out?
1: Well, the relationships are a series of, of debits and credits to me that I think I referenced earlier that when, when I had a coach that I believe had, had put a lot of deposits into our relationship, he was able to have a hard conversation with me. He was able to able to grab me by the face mask and challenge me when he thought I was not pulling my weight, when I wasn't living up to the standard that we all hold ourselves to and when I I, I've had a lot of coaches that yelled and screamed and said terrible things to me that didn't have that same relational capital. And, and to me, that that's when it's detrimental. That's when it becomes damaging. That's when you can negatively influence someone's life, their, their trajectory, the, the way that they believe in themselves, because players are always striving to, to, to please, they are trying to earn, you know, they they want to make their coach proud. They want to make their family proud, right? They want to make all of the, they want to achieve and and do well. Uh, But when you, when you couple that with a a coach that doesn't value, that doesn't care about the relationship, and then on top of that continues to push down and, and in many ways damage uh, an individual, it, it can be harmful in a way that that's hard to recover. But I don't, I don't want to misconstrue the, you know, the quote unquote new athlete or the new coaching style as warm and fuzzy. Right. I, I don't think anybody is ever going to confuse Dabo Sweeney with not being competitive. I mean, I believe Dabo Sweeney will punch you in the throat if he needs to be, if you feel like he needs, if he needs to punch you in the throat, mm-hmm. but I think his players, I, there was an example a couple of years ago where they had two or three defensive linemen that could have gone to the pro uh, gone to off to the NFL, but they came back, uh, for their senior year. And, and it perplexed a lot of analysts saying, well, they're putting themselves at risk. Why, why would they do that? Why would they? And, and, and I'll never forget. I believe it was Christian Wilkins. who I think is now with the Miami dolphins, he goes, we don't, we don't get used at Clemson. We get developed. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was such a huge, if I were Dabo Sweeney, I would put that on repeat on yeah. every v- recruiting video, yep. because you want players to feel like, you know what I'm here not to get used. I'm here to be developed into something greater than myself and relationships have such a a huge uh, impact in that. So I, I look at just the, you know, I give the examples of my own opportunities where coaches were able to speak into me, but I've had just as many times of coaches challenge me, hold me to a standard that I didn't want, or I didn't like, or my body was telling me you can't do it. But because there were coaches that had that relational capital that I, they had put a vested effort into more than just squeezing as much talent out of me as they could, that there was more about we're doing something together. And I see something in you that I don't know that you see in yourself. I think there's just really something special. There's really something magic about that.
0: Yeah, that's good stuff, Ben. I really liked how you said debits and credits. I've never, I've never heard it said that way. You know, I always think of, obviously it's got to be give and take. And obviously there's investment that has to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, People feel like you're invested in them. I mean, that's going to be reciprocated. But I love that you said it that way, debits and credits. I think that's really powerful. That's good stuff. All right. So at the end of every episode, uh, we do a culture investment shout out section. Yeah. So this is just an opportunity for you to you know, shout out and say thank you to someone who poured into your life, shaped you, and kind of helped you become the leader and the person that you are today.
1: Yeah. So I, you told me you were going to ask this question and I, and I wrestled with it for a while. And ultimately, I came back to... The decision that led us to live here in the Decula area, in this part of Gwinnett County. Remember, I, I was a guy that grew up in, on a farm in Southern Ohio and, and won a national championship at Ohio State. And probably every person on the planet would say, hey, you probably should go back to Columbus. You're, you'll never pay for a meal at a restaurant as a you know national champion. I know several teammates, every time they go out for a beer after work, beers are bought by somebody else. It right. would have been natural for me Uh, to go back there and to, you know, I miss my family and and would like to be closer to them. But my shout out really comes back to the reason we chose to live in this part of the world was the community of people that we got plugged into. Uh, When we moved here in 2008 to play for the Atlanta Falcons, uh, we got plugged into a community here at Decula a, a lot of it through our church family over at, at Hebron just around the corner from Decula High School and we got plugged in with a community of people that were so inspirational to me and it, in the world of athletics if you make it to the pros a lot of it is out of your control i didn't get to choose that i got drafted to the Colts i didn't get uh, when, when i got picked up by the Titans it was they claimed my contract i didn't have a lot of choices especially as a journeyman mm-hmm. i went to where someone would have me. I didn't have always a lot of options. But when I was getting to the decision where as a, as a person who's married to a wife, we had two young daughters at the time, and we're making decisions about, hey, where do we want to raise our family? What what do we want to surround our children with? What kind of involvement do we want to be a part of? There was a, a community, specifically for men, for, for me, there was a group of men that i'm still close with to this day and it's not one singular guy but there's a group of men that i identified as a what was i 28 when i when i lived here or when we when we first moved here that i said you know what there is something magic going on with this group of guys and there was a, a perfect blend of there were guys with kids a couple years older than me that were a little bit ahead in life that i could learn from and i could ask them questions about hey How do do you get through this? Hey, when you're doing with relationship stuff with your wife or you're dealing with work struggles, how do you deal with this? And that was magic. And then there was a group of guys my age that we were all figuring this out together, that we could walk hand in hand. In many ways, it was like me finding a new set of teammates to to charge through life with. And then there was also a younger group of guys that hopefully that I can pour some of my life experience into. And so I I think of how did nothing would have, led me to choose to live where we do other than the fact of the the community of people the church family that we home the the faith family that we go through our life with that have such a huge influence on myself they have an influence on my wife they have an influence on my my daughters and and i hope that we are able to do the same thing for those uh, people around us because just like all teams there's really magic when everybody that could not be more different. these people are from, from high-level executives to people that are working blue-collar jobs, but they all have these roles. They all have this magic that we are able to share life together, be real, be transparent, be honest, hold each other accountable, pour into and encourage at times, and at other times challenge them and say, hey, you're a little off base here. I think you need to come back and, and make it a course correction. And I'll tell you, now eight years removed from taking off my football cleats and living here full-time, uh, it has been completely confirmed time and time again that it's a special community that we're a part of. And I thought that was a, a when I when I thought about uh, giving a shout out, I think that was an easy thing for me to, to point out.
0: Man, that's awesome. And, and obviously I I'm totally feel you on that, right? So I grew up in Tequila, went to Tequila. So to be back at Tequila now as a head coach um, is special, obviously, you know, and, and communities change. With time and uh you know five years from now even our community will be different but i think it's the essence of of like what decula really is and what it means to people um so it's really cool to hear you speak on that and you know i think what's been really cool about every episode so far is every time we get to this section of the show every single person has they can't just come up with one person and i think (laughs) that's so cool because the truth is that we are all impacted and poured into and shaped by so many people you know throughout our journey in life and it's kind of what's so special about life you know and, and why it's so important that we do cherish the the minutes and cherish the people because so many different people help us to get to where we are right Absolutely. and so again i think it's awesome that you have that group um, that you that you truly believe have been there for you that are still there for you um so that's just awesome so you know ben i think i just want to tell you how much i appreciate your influence what you do for tequila um, how humbled and, and just thankful I am that you were on the show with us today and just the, the wisdom and the insight and the really cool, I feel, perspective that that you brought us today. And I just truly am thankful for who you are and what you do in Tequila and, and, and just for being, being willing to be on the show with us today.
1: Yeah, I can't uh, echo the same. We, we all have a, a sphere of influence. We all have a pocket you know, in this world. I, I, I get asked a lot, because of the things that I was able to do, the, the accomplishment that God blessed me with to be able to, to do, I, I get opportunities to speak into young people and, and speak in front of events. But I, I try to remind people that don't let the fact that you didn't play pro ball or, or achieve some worldly level of success to, to, to downgrade the value that you have in your circle. And and I, I give an example of had I never played a down of football past high school, I, I share a story of, of when I was 10 years old, there was our high school at my local high school basketball team went to the state championship. And here's the funny thing is they lost. They didn't even win. But those players on that 1991, I think state runner up Uniota high school basketball team were my heroes. Brian Sturgill and Matt Combs and Jeff Miller and Oak Martin. What a great name. Oak.
0: right. Martin. That's, yeah. not so bad.
1: <laughs> yeah. and, you know, those guys were my Michael Jordan. They were a Michael Jordan that I could touch, right? Yeah. There's something magic about Peyton Manning, but you know, most people don't get the opportunity to have that personal interaction with a guy like Peyton Manning, like I did, but I was able to reach those high school runner up state championship, losing basketball players and if I would, those guys were were absolutely influential. The, the way that I played sports in high school was impacted by the way that basketball team played. And so whether or not you're a, a high school player, then there's somebody on middle school that's looking to you. Yeah. And if you're a, a, a middle school player, guess what? There's a kid that's running around uh, the park you know, on a scooter that's watching how the way you carry yourself. And so there's, there's a never-ending opportunity for influence. And I think a lot of times, we, we self-sabotage ourselves to say, you know what? Because I didn't reach some worldly level of success, I don't have the opportunity or I'm not going to leverage my my platform for positive influence. And we miss on a lot of opportunities that way.
0: Very, very true. Man, I just think that you brought, you brought so much good stuff to the table today. It's awesome. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you being on here. Definitely want to try to catch your ESPN radio show. Yeah. Even, even though I'm an SEC girl, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, I do the sec channel from
1: time to time, you know, we all, we all try to support each other's causes here. I, you know, people always ask like, how do you, how do you live down there in sec country? And (laughs) I say, listen, I'm, I am like Magellan taking the gospel of Ohio state global you know you've got it you've got to go conquer territory so i'm down here one one convert at a time trying to teach people change people over yeah buckeye yeah i fandom. see your shirt
0: right now <laughs> i see it <laughs> i do and anybody that hasn't you know i just learned this uh the other day when when ben and i met in person but uh if you haven't looked up the video on youtube called holy buckeye yeah you should definitely look that up um he, he spoke to our high school football team i think about that last week but I got to to watch that video with him and he kind of gonna walk me through it but that's pretty awesome you should look it up if you if, if you haven't seen it.
1: Yeah, spectacular moment in my uh my sports history. That's that is a every sports fan base has chapters of history that they remember you know people think about the kick six with the uh, auburn alabama game right well yeah. in in ohio state history holy buckeye is one that is uh, is one of fame and a spectacular moment and one i shared with the team about actually a role player a guy that positively influenced the team by just doing the dirty work he was a guy that picked up a blitzing linebacker that allowed that heroic play that nobody knows about that guy. Nobody knows about Lido Ross picking up that blitzing linebacker. But because he remembered who he was and he was a part of something bigger than himself, he's a guy that uh, without him we don't we don't have that moment uh, in in Ohio State history. So it's it's a cool story that I love I love sharing.
0: Yeah, he did his job right.
1: Yeah. Did, do your job. Control your the job. controllables. That's He's what it's all about. in. That's right. Yeah. People, I mean, people we just hit clichés. all the,
0: We just yes. hit all the mantras at one time. That was pretty good.
1: Yeah. People hit all these cliches, but if they're done well and they're done with uh, genuinely, they absolutely matter. They really, really do.
0: Absolutely. And, I, and I'm thankful that obviously that you were on the show today, but even more so that I'm thankful that you, bu- you buy into the importance of culture. Yeah. You know, and, and what I'm trying to do with The Culture Carries Us movement. And so just really appreciative of your time for sure.
1: Absolutely. Thankful.
0: Yeah, awesome. Another episode in the book. How cool to have the perspective of Ben Hartsock on the show today. You know, Ben played at such a high level. And so it's really neat to hear his insight and perspective on playing for different types of coaches and how those coaches truly impacted and shaped his life. All right, so let's look at our key takeaways for the week. Number one, mantras. The mantra of the coach, the program, or the organization, it truly does become hardwired and just a natural part of every piece of your culture. Number two, consistency of the message is crucial for buy-in. You know, our terminology should be the same throughout our programs. Our people need to see it, hear it, and live it daily. Number three, a clear standard should be in place, and then everyone should live above that line. The key to that happening is accountability. Number four, words are powerful. Our tone matters and our timing matters. Word choice is also impactful. You know, words matter, so we have to be intentional to show up and build up with our words. You never know the impact a few words timed right can change a life, so don't miss the moment. Number five, building people should always come first. Developing people will actually lead to more wins for your program. Number six, people see genuine. Number seven, teams take on the identity of their leaders. So what are, what are we modeling? What are we bringing to the table? Our people will reflect our leadership. We gotta keep that in mind. And last, number eight, relationships. You know, Ben said that it is debits and credits. It's deposits into relationships that result in a space to have hard conversations. And ultimately, it is the relational capital that is built that has the most impact. When leaders invest, magic can happen. Guys, it's been awesome. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope there's something you know, that you can take away from this that is going to help to shape you and make you a better leader. Remember that we don't get where we're going on accident. So make sure that you continue to seek growth, collaborate, get uncomfortable. We'll see you next week, friends.